You're listening to Managing Leadership Anxiety, Yours and Theirs, a podcast offered in partnership with Missio Alliance. Each episode, we discuss internal and relational pressures, how they block effective leadership, and how we can move through them to a greater health. And now your host, Steve Cuss. All right, friends. Hey, Dr. Angie Ward on the podcast, returning guest, also dear friend. Angie and her husband, Dave, live about half an hour down the road from me and Lisa, and we've gotten together a number of times. And I don't know, Angie and Dave are just the kind of people that you spend time with them. And then when you're done, you can't wait to spend time with them again. And uh, that's, the, that's also the truth on this podcast. Uh, Dr. Ward is the assistant director of the Doctor of Ministry program, not to be confused with the assistant to the director Correct. of the Doctor of Ministry program. As Angie told me before we hit record, she is not the Dwight Schrute of the DMIN program at Denver Seminary. That's right. Um, and hey, Angie's written some books. Uh, you know, her book, I Am a Leader, When Women Discover the Joy of Their Calling. This is a book for men and women. And I'll also just say about Angie, before I ever met Angie, I would say at least a decade before I met Angie, I was reading her articles on women in leadership. She was one of the earliest voices oh, wow. on this topic. And also, I think one of the earliest leaders in in her own kind of ex, ex, um, education. And I think it's no small thing that her PhD is from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Not mm-hmm. bad for a lady. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, Angie, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Steve. So good to be sitting with here uh, here with you. And like um, you said about Dave and me, we feel the same way. Always grateful. Any chance we can catch up and talk about what you're listening to and learning and I don't know, lo- looking forward to learning from you. Yeah. Even if we run into each other randomly in an airport in England, it's uh, we, fantastic. We, we did. Yes. Yeah. So Dave and I were flying home from a European river cruise. We had to fly through Heathrow. And then I saw this guy coming and talking up to the, talking to the gate agent. And I was like, that looks like that Steve Cuss. Yeah, and sure enough, is. we're in the same flight. Yeah, it was pretty sweet. So Angie, one, one of the things people may not necessarily know about you like they i think they know you from your speaking and your books but you're actually a first class convener of conversation um Mm. even i I remember lisa and i went to your house one night for dinner and it was like within the week you and dave were going to have a house full of people Mm -hmm. around the topic of deconstruction yeah and uh you also happen to just finish that dialogue you convened a discussion this morning at denver seminary about it and before we get to your book, let's talk deconstruction. How would you define deconstruction? Yeah, so uh, great topic, um, great question. And we started that this morning. I was doing a webinar for Denver Seminary on that panel discussion, much like you and, and I and Glenn did on emotional uh, health and leadership. But, um, I, you know, I think that's an important thing. What, what do we mean by that? I think it's this process of... Con- critically examining what we believe or have been taught to believe or have thought to be true. Um, uh, Sometimes that's like faith itself and found truth, you know, objective truth. But um, more often it's, um, it's more the the systems and structures, the culture we've been brought up and how much of that is, is like reality, how much of that is just part of the stream we grew up in. And so it's kind of a, a, um, taking apart the threads, I think, of, um, but, but it usually is some sort of, um, kind of a crisis moment where somebody, you have some experience that leads to this disequilibrium of, uh, these people claim to speak for Jesus, but I'm not seeing Jesus in them, for example, or, 
and then go, well, they taught me this, then what else isn't true? What other, what other, you know, I've had friends say, what other lies have I bought or believed, you know? And so it's a, this unsettling process. Um, the first part is just the unsettling, like this wave kind of hits you. You don't go, guess what today I'm going to go deconstruct. I mean, it, right. it, it happens to you, I think at the first part. Yeah. And then I think the first time it happens, it, it is scary and it feels, mm-hmm. at least I, I would say I went through a deconstruction first in the late 90s. It, it was quite terrifying because I didn't realize it was a reshaping of my faith. I thought I was losing my faith. Yeah. And you don't know. And I think you also, you feel like you could lose everything because it's so foundational to who you are. And so you also feel, I think, the sense of homelessness of, are these you know, if I don't believe this stuff or don't hold the same, like, will I lose my people? And the, yeah. as part of it, which is part of the very fearful, unsettling piece. Yeah, the whole where do I belong? Yeah, that's yeah. that was definitely a piece. And I know for me as a, I, I was a ministry student when it was happening. Hmm. Uh, so in my story, I think it was like the, the emotional onslaught of death in chaplaincy mm-hmm. um, mashed into the academic rigor of a moderate, a theologically moderate seminary. So I did mm-hmm. not go to a seminary that was interested in reinforcing my pre-existing notions. They were interested in really challenging them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even for me, it was a vocational fear of, oh yeah. man, how, how am I going to earn income if if I'm not yeah. necessarily believing the thing I'm paid to lead? So that was, yeah. what was, what was helpful this morning in the conversation you convened? What what did you share or what did you hear that you're like, oh, that's really helpful for people? Uh, it, uh, I think um, we have a, a, we had a guy that was, uh, he's a black pastor in the Bay Area and uh, um, Ambrose Carroll. And he talked about um, loving people enough to not rescue them from the process of deconstruction. Mm. I thought that was great. And so I thought it was a very hope filled um, you know, we talked about should the should the church big C be concerned about this kind of rise in deconstruction and um is this bad or is this natural or or you know neutral or whatever? And so um and had two other panelists on the conversation. So I think it just gave some language, normalized like this abnormal feeling of it, like you're not alone kind of thing. It's um every everybody's faith journey is and process is completely different. We can trust God's work and the Holy Spirit in that. When I was going through mine in the 90s, um, it wasn't as um, public as it is yeah. now. Um, yeah. And it feels like now that it's more public, it's also become, I don't know if the word's angrier or more intense. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your take on that? I would agree with you that I think it's angrier and more intense. I think we're just, I think our society is becoming so much more polarized and cancel culture. And so, and so it's become more acceptable in the first place. And, and um, it's kind of the angry way, I think in the, or that the kind of very, I don't know, fiery. I, I don't know a better word either than you for like the angry piece of thing, but very, um, I think that was like not acceptable way to do it before. And so maybe there was anger and people just felt marginalized, but now it's also like, I've got this, uh, there's much more speaking ag- out against, um, um, injustice or systems that, ha- and so part of it is good. I think people feel empowered to speak up about it, but can also become more gut reaction without the work of deconstruction. Yeah. Perhaps. Right. Yeah. And it seems like in the last five years, 
there's been just way too many public Christians or organizations that it turns out have been covering up abuse or living a secret life that harms people. And surely that's just building massive levels of mistrust in like the local church, for example. Yeah, I think it's less, there's more, uh, there's a sense that some major institutions and cultures and systems are sick. And so it used to, I mean, I think sometimes it was like, I had my experience with, um, uh, you know, when I was in my early 20s about like my family was getting divorced, my church was splitting, my Christian college had some non-Christian kind of things, maybe kind of question a bunch of stuff because they all claimed to speak for Christ. But I never thought, man, maybe evangelicalism is a mess or maybe all of the church is a mess. You know, I was, yeah. I still looked at and but now we're seeing so many cases we're going, this thing is maybe more rotten broader than we thought. And so maybe that's why there's also more alarm and there's more pushback on, no, no, it's fine. And so I think there's more people also rising up on the other side to defend things that maybe should be defended as well. That maybe should be defended? Should, should not, should, should not, not be. be, should also, yeah. that should be critically examined. Yeah, yeah. So I think on both sides, there's this uh, um, very rising um, kind of hackles up kind of thing. yeah. Yeah, it's interesting as a local church pastor, more and more people are coming to our church with previous negative experiences about pastors or mm -hmm. their church. And the amount of work it takes for me to not be defensive, either of myself or our church or mm. the church at large, and actually listen to them and try to help them feel seen and, and heard. Yeah. I think the challenge, Angie, is there's a couple of things that like, in the moment is not necessarily the time to talk rationally or logically about pain, which right. is always my default when I'm anxious. I'm just wanting to go into the rational. But no one has ever come to my church and said what's also true. Like they, they come to my church and they say, the last, pastor hurt, the last pastor hurt me. I've never had a single person say, I hurt the last pastor. Mm. And mm. so I'm not sure yeah. what to do with that, but it seems like it's more... I don't know what I don't know what the question is in there. I'm just going to leave that hanging and see if you've got a reaction. I guess. Well, I think the the default is I'm going to be hurt. Prove it. Prove it otherwise. Like it's. I think uh, just and trust of clergy and on, of authority and stuff is at an all time low. And so I think it's not trust uh, guilty until proven innocent. Instead yeah. of I uh, I'm going to come in and and trust and believe this is going to be a safe place. It's just kind of like okay. We're just, you know, just on edge and, um, yeah, and and just bring that emotional charge into things. One of the things we talked about on the call this morning was somebody uh, from the, the um, listeners asked about, like, what are questions to ask? And um, someone, if you're walking with someone who's deconstructing, and we also talked about the importance of the, the questions to ask ourselves. Uh, we, like you said, what is this? raising up in me, like you said, why, you know, I'm feeling like the need to be or defensive, you know, kind of thing or to, to, to counter or to prove or to whatever kind of thing. And so I, um, I think it's just, it's, it's a growth opportunity. It's not a, we get so fearful about what's going to be lost and yeah. instead of going, what can we learn and grow from that, which is that whole centered bounded thing, you know, it's like, okay, yeah. what, what's the, the non-anxious way to do this in a very anxiety-producing thing for everybody in that you know involved in that process and the relationships. Yeah, that's right. And and I think for better or worse, 
I think pastors do wrap their identity up in their church's reputation more than most other vocations. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so therefore we're, we're more jumpy. I think when people have a, have a bad word, even if it's true. Yeah. I mean, I think and a lot of that's, not, I mean, there's some good too. like, we have a deep sense of vocation and call. It's not just our job, you know? And so, yeah. but, um, so that can be good at many times, you know, many times, like it's part of who we it really is part of who we are a lot of times. Um, yeah. But so much seems at stake. And then, you know, it's like, I think some view deconstruction as a slippery slope to um, no truth, you know, relativism and, and that kind of, and it's not necessarily that, yeah. you know. Um, so, yeah, it was a good conversation. I love, yeah, I love creating spaces for those conversations to happen. And um, I just, and then trust the Holy Spirit to work in them. Yeah, which kind of leads us to the book that you released just a few months ago, back in the fall, when the universe cracks, what I love about this book, Angie, is you're the general editor. It's just another way that you're actually convening a helpful yeah. conversation. Uh, this particular book, you're really focusing on how do you follow Jesus as a as a people and as a person through a crisis. So obviously, it's, it's very COVID focused, but it's not just about COVID. Right. Tell us about uh, how that book came to be and what it's really uh, hitting on. Yeah, so it's it's published by Nav Press, and so two years ago, and remember when we thought two years ago we would never be talking about the pandemic at this point, right. and we still yeah. are. But um, they were Nav Press was getting, I guess, a bunch of book proposals, trying people trying to capitalize on the what would Jesus do about the pandemic type of thing, you know. And they said, you know, let's make a book, let's do this, let's make something that's more conversational, more discipleship focused, not just about the pandemic, about but like. Crises are nothing new in the life of the church and the life of the Christian. And so, um, and then they said, let's turn it into a series. And then they actually reached out to me and asked me to be the kind of the conversation, you know, holder of this and be the general editor of that. And so uh, then I, with our publisher, um, you know, came up with, okay, who are the voices we want in this? And looking again for very uh, discipleship focused, pastoral, you know, let's have let's talk about this kind of thing, not just here's what you believe or here's what you should believe or here's what the Bible says, but what's a, res- res- a discipleship, a disciple's response to these different topics. So you compiled uh, a group of thinkers and they mm-hmm. have these various articles. What was surprising to you? It's, a, it's amazing to me how the Holy Spirit, I, I feel like it's amazing that the Holy Spirit works, but really like it's surprising how the Holy Spirit brought all these, like we kind of, we trust the Holy Spirit in the direction of, okay, these different voices. But then even when they start talking, talked about what we have a zoom call where all the contributors get together and they start talking about what they're working on mm. and the synergy between them and kind of this, you know, we don't want it to be unison, but this beautiful harmony. And so it's just very clear that as they're, praying through what they're going to write for their chapters, I think they just really flow together. Um, and so that's, that's been really fun. Um, I just, I just love getting people together in those kind of contexts. So it's just really fun and fulfilling for me. And just the variety of perspectives. We have a historian person, you know, we have some that are more scholars, but all with kind of a, again, discipleship, you know, pastors perspective, and then others who are like deeply pastoral and going, okay, kind of a call to, um, response or benediction and stuff. So it's just a beautiful um, harmony of voices, I guess. Yeah. For each of them in the series. And because I'm actually now, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, this one's launched, but like the next one that we'll talk about is in coming in the summer is Kingdom and Country. 
you know, nothing like tackling a little topic, right? And then the third one will be the least of these. And so each each book of the series, it's the same thing we've noticed. It's been really fun. So you made a comment that, you know, we all thought COVID would be behind us by now. Mm-hmm. I think one of the great sources of anxiety in a leader is just ambiguity, having mm-hmm. to lead in ambiguity. What are you seeing in your students and your demon students? And what are you seeing in, in pastors you talk to about stamina how, you know, how much they're encouraged versus discouraged? The students, and I would say a younger generation, like I'm 52, you know, so like the generation under, they're going like, I think we're getting to a post-Christendom church a lot faster than we thought we would. I mean, I think COVID just kind of exposed a lot of, um, and the racial stuff, I mean, and the election, all that kind of happened at once. And so I think it's exposing stuff. And there's there's people, it's furthering the conversations that I think we were moving toward um, kind of like post-Christian Europe or whatever, but it's it's really accelerating those conversations and accelerating the polarization, I think, between different approaches and different perspectives. Some pastors I talk to are very hopeful because they're just, um, they're leaders that are just like, oh, well, this is an adaptive opportunity. You know, they view it as, a, and, and then others, I, I think, you probably, I'm sure you've seen this, COVID exposed and all that yeah. stuff has exposed yeah. what was under the waterline. And yeah. so people revert to what they know or whatever. And so I see some pastors and leaders who are very, very discouraged because they were, weren't were going in with full health in the first place. And others are going, like, I'm, I'm doing okay. You know, it's been hard, but I'm doing okay. And, and this has opened some cool opportunities. So kind of depends on what you brought into it, I think. I, I have a friend who was a tandem, she and her husband were tandem bicyclists, and they said, wherever your marriage is going, it gets there faster on a tandem. And I feel like wherever your leadership or where your, your you know, relationship, all that stuff was going, it got, it's getting there faster as a result of this season. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah, I, the thing I noticed too is, is a lot of us at first, I'm talking like May through June 2020, it's like we reverted back to what we're most comfortable with. So a lot yeah. of pastors generated a lot of content. Yes. They didn't, they didn't know what to do. So they just started. I did the same thing. Started hosting Zoom meetings and yep. just trying to figure out. I, I think one of the biggest challenges I face as I look back on that era is that's when I realized how much of my pastoral care is between five minutes and 20 minutes, mm. dozens of times a week in hallways. Um, yeah whether it's a Sunday morning or just in the course of a week. That incidental contact. Incidental, like actually it turns out most of my pastoring was that incidental base. And I didn't know how to do it any other way. Yeah. Um, And the crazy thing I did, I started cold calling our congregation (laughs) just just to check in. And like almost no one called me back because, you know, people don't believe in talking on the phone anymore. Um, That was really disorienting. Yeah. Well, um, the church that we came from in Indiana, I saw, I mean, one of the pastors, he was uh, kind of a seminary professor background. And so his default was, we need more classes, you know? And yeah. and then uh, our worship tech guy was like, we need really good tech. And so for a church of 400, they had the most amazing technology. You know, it's like, it was, you know, mega church level because that's what his familiarity was. So I think that's Totally true. I mean, we moved to Denver in March of 2020, just as everything was shutting down. And so I was starting a new job and a new life a thousand miles away from our teen sons. And I don't know if I reverted. I was just in such, we were in a major life upheaval apart from COVID. 
And so it was just, okay, we're already starting a new life. Like we didn't have a life to be disrupted from. We had already made the choice to disrupt and, and uproot. Yeah. Well, let's chat this next Kingdom Conversation book that's coming out this summer. Um, you're really wrestling with something that was massively e- exposed during COVID and, and the last kind of really in 2020 was this love of God, love of country, critique of country. Um, talk to us about the heart of that book. Yeah, it's great. I mean, uh, every time I, I tell people Kingdom Country, I get, I you know, I look immediately for the reaction. I get this kind of head cocked, eyebrows raised, like, wow, you're really going for it kind of thing. And, you know, my dog gives me the same look when he thinks I'm doing something crazy, you know? And so, um, but, um, so, yeah, obviously it's very important because judging by the reactions that people are going like, um, you know, why do, do we even dare to tread where apparently angels fear to trod, but I, I think it's, it's crucial. And again, to do it from this discipleship perspective and, and posture. Um, so like the first chapter is going to be, can, can we even have a conversation? What's, what gets in the way um, that activates us that we can't even talk about stuff? And how can we kind of calm down, deactivate, you know, de-escalate that type of thing? And then um, there's a great chapter, Sean Palmer from Ecclesia in Houston does one about the, the, I think it's the politics of allegiance and just, you know, what, what does allegiance mean? And can you even pledge allegiance to more than one thing, uh, you know, just really challenges that understanding. Um, and there's uh, Mandy Smith has a chapter in there. And so she does kind of a liturgy of, of um, a new, kind of a new pledge or, or, and we have somebody who's like a third culture person who was a missionary in Turkey talking about um, what it's like to be, so dual, what does dual citizenship look like kingdom yeah. and on earth? kind of thing. And so just really thought provoking coming from people's really deeply lived experiences. Um, and it's so hopefully that, you know, I, I say in the beginning in the intro, I'm just like, you know, I hope you, maybe this will upset you, but I hope you'll stick with it and just allow it to kind of, you to chew on some of these ideas. I certainly hope so too, because, you know, just even mentioning Sean Palmer and Mandy Smith, I think two phenomenal thinkers in yeah. the church today, uh, two friends of the podcast too, they've both been on mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Um, and just the way both of them think and communicate their capacity to communicate it. Yeah, I hope people do give it a shot because that sounds that sounds like an incredible and needed resource. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there and there's you know, those two and the others, they're just so deeply pastoral in yeah. their thinking and the working out of that. And so there's there's a spirit to these contributors that we that just I don't know, there's just a a depth to it and a it's yeah. There's there's not an angry in it, but there's sometimes a challenge, you know. And so I just really love the spirit of these books. One of the things that really challenges me about the Apostle Paul is the way that he was a Roman citizen, but he never appealed to his rights as a citizen for his own gain. Mm-hmm. He only ever appealed to his rights to further the spread of the gospel. And it ended up killing him in the end, right? I mean, he appealed to Caesar for trial. Right. And people, right. you know, scholars say, well, if he hadn't done that, you know. He'd still be he alive today. Long. Yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. <laughs> he'd be here at Denver Seminary. I mean, where yeah, else would he That's right. right. Yeah. He'd be a scholar. Yeah, he'd be a, a professor of Pauline epistles. At Denver <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> and no one would take the class. They'd rather yeah. read. I that's prefer right. to read uh, Doug Moo, you know, <laughs> than, right. than take it from Paul. <laughs> that's right. That's great. <laughs> with, 
And since I name checked Doug Moo, one of my favorite right. uh, scholars <laughs> on the Book of Romans, just amazing. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> but what what is it about? Like as an immigrant, I've been struck by yeah. the unique patriotism in some American Christianity. I can't make a yeah. statement, but no, yeah. What are we? Is it that we're afraid we're going to lose something? What is that? I think. You know, and having grown up here, thankfully having traveled elsewhere now and going like, oh, there's, and lived and ministered in other variety of parts of the country, just as you have and going, like you said, it's not blanket, but there's other part of like this independent individualism is such a core founding concept of the United States. And we've, and so Michelle Reyes, I don't know if you know her, she's, she does a chapter in the book on national narrative. And so our national narrative this uh, American exceptionalism and independence and individualism. I mean, our Christianity is is enculturated within that, you know? And so, yeah, I guess it feels like, you, you know, a lot of people, it's like you can't, that part of American is part of Christian because, you know, the the one of the, the national narratives, which is, you know, mythical, is that um, the country was founded as a Christian nation by people for religious freedom. You know, and so anything that threatens that narrative, we well, then we're losing faith and what it means to be American, and those are so intertwined, I guess. I mean, let's be honest, Angie, I think we've had a lovely chat here, but but fundamentally, what you've been yearning for is the gauntlet of anxiety questions. And I have, I know. Yeah. Please give me extra. Please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And as have your people, like your, right. your people are also ready for this. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, let me tell them, I told Steve uh, before we got on this, uh, you started recording that um, he gave me some, they give us some sort of sample questions. And I, I did them with my older son, my, my young adult son and my husband. And I said, how would you answer this for me? Which is an interesting exercise in its own right. Let me just yeah. say, yeah, I've got my phone, a friend ready for these. Yeah, here we go. Here, we're going to, we're going to start with a heavy one, but it's theologically heavy, not emotionally heavy, I think. Okay. All right. Where do you experience a gap between what you believe and what you experience from God? Like something that you believe about God, but you have a gap between what you believe and your actual experience with God. Mm-hmm. That's a, yeah. yeah, yeah, uh-huh. See, okay, wait, yeah. let's see. Uh, yeah, this is like Wordle. Do I get six chances to, sure. get, to, get, to get it right? And, and joking yeah. aside, this is the heart of my next book. So I, there's a vested interest in me. Oh, really? Yeah, this is what oh, my next awesome. book will be, is minding the gap between our belief and our experience. Yeah, well, so I'm a, like a little bit of a long answer. I'm going to tie it back to this deconstruction conversation because when I was about 21, I um, had a time where I talked to God and I said, I'm giving up on all this um, faith stuff and because the people who claim to speak for you are not, they're hypocrites. And so I bet you are too, whatever. And and I feel in that moment that Jesus said, I'm very, I'm, I'm so sorry you've had that experience. I don't blame you. Like, and, and said, I just invite you to get to know me for who I am. And I think you'll find that I'm faithful. And so that's been my grounding thing, Steve, for like 30 years now. And so when I go like, part of me just always goes back to God, is that true about you? And he goes, no, 
or yes, you know. So so ask the question though one more time. Say say it again. So I can Yeah, let me let me rephrase it a little. Yeah. Um the, I think there's three core gaps. There's okay. I believe God loves me but I don't feel it. Yeah. I believe God's with me but I don't see it. I thought I'd be further along in my faith by now. I think these are the three gaps of every follower of Christ. I think it's more of more of the first one, which was say it again. I when you said it, I was like, I, mean, I believe God loves me, but I don't feel it. Yes, and I think one um, the questions we were talking with our family last night, like one of my core narratives is you don't know what you're talking about, and so it's not. And my son said, "Do you mean like imposter syndrome?" And I said, "Well, it's not really about." my credentials it's about who i am at the core you know kind of thing and so because like i'm i can go like on paper yeah i belong in these conversations it's a much deeper uh, and i think we've tied these conversations before about as a woman leader too yeah. I, the messages i got from those who claimed to speak for christ was something's wrong with you yeah. and so it's been a, a long journey ongoing journey of trying to go beyond that to not internalize to again go what does Jesus really say? So I think that's probably it. Does that help? I mean, is that, am I getting at your question? Oh, you're nailing it. I think you're doing oh, great. fantastic. Because I'm a one, so I need to know that I'm doing it well. So you need to, you need to feel like you've perfectly answered. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> kind of related to this, Angie, I think it's interesting to explore the emotions that were permitted in our household as a kid. Yes. So I wonder if you might be willing to name an emotion and it's either an emotion you are allowed to have or you are not allowed to have, or sometimes the question gets interesting. Okay, my brother was allowed to have it, but I wasn't, for example. So it, would you be willing to name an emotion and then who was allowed to have that emotion and maybe who wasn't allowed to? Yeah, sure. So first of all, my family was a mess. I mean, I don't, we've talked about it a little bit. So mental illness, both of my parents and I'm adopted into that family. So like there's this whole crazy family dynamic already going on. But um, I mean, uh, my dad would say, don't cry or I'll give you something to cry about. Oh, so he actually said, because that's yeah. kind of a cliche, but you actually no, he would say, that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then so, would, yeah. He, would he then do it? No, but it was just kind of a quit your crying because, you know, um, yeah. so, um, you know, very blue collar, very, very German, very stoic, very, you know, feelings get in the way of everything kind of thing. So, so, um, yeah, feeling, you know, any type of sad or tears was like that. That's just a waste of time. Come on, you know, pull, pull, up, pull up yourselves, you know, yeah. keep moving kind of thing. I mean farmer's kid like they, they had no time for they lived through the depression you know it's like there there's no reason for sadness compared to what you know, the hard times we've yeah. grown up in you know so um i think that was one toward all of us but um I, you know i felt like i had to be tough i had to be boy tough or whatever that image was in my family's mind you know and so so i've uh, it's been a challenge for me to not be just one of the guys how can i be fully fully human fully feminine fully emotional all those things you know instead of shutting off those parts has been one of the things i you know i we I'll, i'm happy to answer any more follow-up questions about that but that's just one yeah i you know something that lisa and i know about you is just you're a phenomenal overcomer like what and and you've you've looked it in the eye and dealt with it and it's quite quite remarkable to see i think example of someone that was handed a tough set of cards and played yeah. them really well. Yeah. 
Yeah, God's been gracious. Lots of good therapy, right? Lots of hard work. So, yeah. but yeah, God, God has honored that. But um, yeah, so I think over the years, I think it's been the, um, and I even now I think I can default to being in leader mode and not on the ground mode. I mean, you know, it's like it's easier for me to default to being the the helper or the coordinator and the in charge person instead of fully letting myself become a ground level. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Next question is in your leadership and your teaching, uh, where do you keep running into yourself? Like what is one trait you wish you could break? One that I've been working on is um, try not to force things because, um, uh, you know, so I'm a one, I'm a, just, I'm a driven person and, and whatever. And with what I've just a little, I've even said about my background, I'm, you know, I'm an overcomer, I you know, push forward. And so I'm a make it happen person, but which can be great. That's a lot, you know, that gets praised a lot in leadership circles, yeah. but there's, there's times where I can, uh, force things, or I find myself getting anxious over things that I can't control or have found, you know, and, and so there's been a continual loosening of my grip, I think has been an ongoing uh, thing of getting in my way. And, and also because I see systems and trajectories. So I think sometimes I, I see a little um, change in, in shift in like, oh, somebody's gone off two degrees in a different direction. Uh, and I see, 10 years down the road, oh my gosh, or, you know, two years down the road, this is going to be disastrous. And, and, and so I'm sounding the disaster alarm way early when probably I'm a little over, <laughs> overreacting sometimes. Dave and I are like, cause he's Mr. Adaptable. So he's like, what's the big deal? And I'm like, this is the big deal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can, you know, as you can imagine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And then the question I asked before, just an update, when in your life lately have you felt most fully and completely loved? Um, so usually it's when just when I feel safe, first of all, so there's people I can be fully myself with. Mm -hmm. um, and as you know, as leaders, that's hard to find a lot of times because there's power, does all sorts of things, right? Our own stuff, people's other stuff gets in way. And so most lately it's been when we, um, so my older son's living with us for about six weeks. He's 23, almost 23. Our 20 year old was home and we got snowed in and it was just the four of us and the dog and a fireplace and eight inches of snow. And we hadn't been together since January of 2021. And so it was, it was very content. And so I think it's that it's this a heart at rest for me. Yeah. Oh, uh. My guest is Dr. Angie Ward. Uh, she's the. Please call me doctor. I am insistent. <laughs> she's the uh, <laughs> assistant director of the Doctor of Ministry program at Denver Seminary. It's a fantastic program. I've seen it firsthand up close. Yeah. Uh, she's the author of, I think, one of the finest books on leadership as it relates to men and women in leadership is called I Am a Leader. Her latest oh. book. When the Universe Cracks, Living as God's People in Times of Crisis. Uh, listeners, I'm just going to say um, my lesson out of COVID. Actually, let me just go back a little further. The number one leadership lesson of my life is that if I'm actually going to serve other people, I have to know what's going on in me. Mm -hmm. And it's not selfish to do it. It's actually okay. uh, the path to selflessness. And part of what that means, I think, is we have to spend more time taking in, reading, learning, uh, and less time outputting. 
Mm-hmm. And so we need more help navigating uh, the times we're in. And this is a great book to do it. And Angie's mm-hmm. a great guide for us. So Angie, thanks so much for coming back on the show. And yeah, look forward to the next time our paths cross without microphones. So fun. Yeah. Thanks, Steve. For more resources, visit stevecusswords.com or missyoualliance.org. 